Praise the Lord, everybody. It's uh, good to be with you on this Palm Sunday. Uh, truly a day that we remember and celebrate as we think about how Christ entered the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, for the sole purpose to prepare himself for his departure and resurrection, to fulfill the plan of God's redemption of mankind. It's amazing how even in this day, uh, we sometimes forget. And it's good that we have this, uh, it's not a ritual, um, it's not done for form or fashion, but it's something that we definitely should remember, that we should give honor to and think about. Because this is the day that started the week, a hard week for Jesus, but a great week for us. And I'm just excited to be with you today. It's um, new, the new normal, as they say, uh, with the way that we're coming at you today. And I'm looking forward to the day that the Lord allow us to gather back together in the fellowship of saints in the church uh, where we can see each other, touch each other, celebrate God together, uh, enjoy the worship of God together, hear the songs. I was thinking this morning, as a matter of fact, uh, about a song that kind of is tied to the sermon today. And it's, it's an old song. It's one of the songs that the uh, saints would sing. And I can hear uh, Bishop Thomas Burns singing it, standing on the promises of God. Oh, if I could sing today, I would just remember that we have the right, we have the ability to stand on the promises of Christ, our Savior. I'm standing, oh, I'm standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. What an awesome, awesome thing, because as this day represents um, the fulfillment of the promise of God for the redemption of mankind, we have the right, the access, being in right relationship now with God to not just stand on the promises, but to function, to operate, to work the promises of God for the good of humanity, not just me or our family or our inner circle, but we have the ability to just work the power of Christ in all of humanity to save mankind. You know, the word tells us that if we lift up Jesus, he would draw all men unto himself. So the responsibility of every believer is to lift up Christ. And I hope that you enjoyed today's sermon. I just want to uh, share this word with you, uh, and then I'll get out, out of your way. Uh, you know, I never really planned to be before you long, uh, but I never promise a time frame either, because sometimes I'm short, sometimes I'm long, but whatever time God gives us together, I promise this will be from the Lord. And I just wanted to talk to you today about the ability to stand on the promises of God. Uh, you know, when, you, when you're standing on the promises of God, you begin to understand that there's absolutely nothing that's impossible for you because all things then become possible because they're possible for Christ. But what does this mean really exactly? Well, there are two distinct parts of the theme that require complete understanding. 
if we're ever to really stand on the promises of God, especially in a time of crisis that we're currently in. The dictionary defines standing as to be in a position to gain or lose because of an action taken or a commitment made. It also means to remain firm in the face of, and you can add whatever it is that you need to remain firm in. I'd say in this day that we need to remain firm in the face of this pandemic. The promise is defined as a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. It's also a legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it is made a right to expect. If you're taking notes today, you need to write that down somewhere. I have a right to expect. It also goes on to say, or to claim the performance or forbearance of a specified act. It means to reason, to expect something, especially ground for ex expectation of success, improvement, or excellence. As we begin to talk today and kind of break this down, I'm going to give you a foundational scripture upon which we can build. And uh, it may seem peculiar, this scripture, for a Palm Sunday, but I think you'll get it by the time this is all said and done. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, the 15th chapter, the 21st through the 28th verse. This is where God has led me this morning, and uh, this is what I want to impart to you. The Bible reads, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me. O Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You know, this is probably by far one of the most troubling and at first glance, even a demeaning verse in the word of God. It appears to be directly out of character with the savior of mankind. Let's take a closer look at this and see if Jesus was just having a bad day. Uh, some of us often do, or if there's a whole lot more here to understand that's directly connected to the love that he has for all of humanity. Jesus appears to have an attitude, at least an attitude towards this woman. 
He essentially ignores the woman at first. Then he completely dismisses her. And then it seems he belittles her. Is that what's truly going on in this encounter with the Savior? Hmm. I don't know. Let's take a look and see what the revelation of God's word would show us. It starts out, it, it identifies his location, and this is important for us to understand. Jesus withdrew to the Gentile coast. He withdrew to the northern border of Tyre and Sidon, which are in Phoenicia, or what we would call modern-day Lebanon. The Canaanites who inhabited this area and are the direct descendants of Ham were more than just Gentiles, but they were ancestral enemies to the Jews. As a matter of fact, if you look at biblical history, you'll find that the Jews were directed by God to destroy them. But as often we find in the Old Testament, Israel did not fully listen to the commands of God. And as a result, dealt with things they never would have had to deal with had they followed through to the 100% of what God declared for them. But they didn't destroy the Canaanites, and so here we are. The Canaanites themselves were worshipers of the sun god Baal. This area is now called Palestine. And we know of the issues that are going on in current times between Palestine and Israel, and the struggle, the wars, the constant fighting and lack of peace in that area of the world. The word coast in the Greek, tamir, means the ports or borders. So Jesus was deliberately withdrawing to the borders of Gentile country. He needed time and uh, some quiet so that he could prepare himself and his disciples for what was to come, the end of his natural existence. And the only place that he could find freedom from the crowds that enthralled them and from his opponents that harassed them was in the northern area, the area bordering Gentile territory, because no Jew was likely to enter Gentile areas. They tried to stay as far away from the Gentiles as they possibly could. Jesus needed to impart some things to his disciples and also to us in this interaction that he is getting ready to have with this woman. This woman approaches Jesus and says all the right things. How often has we labored before God making sure we say all the right things, we quote the right scriptures, we uh, pray to God, uh, trying to ensure that everything we say it fits some type of prayer format that we've been given. Well, she says all the right things to God too. She calls Jesus, O Lord, thou son of David, recognizing him as Lord, connecting him to kingship through David, and she appears to treat Jesus with the utmost respect. She also demonstrates great wisdom as she recognized that her help could only come from Jesus. How important that is, even in our current dilemma in the land, that we need to begin to understand the cure to this pandemic is not the science of man. The cure to this pandemic is not the knowledge or wisdom that man has gained through medical advances throughout history. There are a lot of things out there 
that are identifying what this is and what this isn't. There's a lot of conspiracy theories about, um, you know, a, a great worldwide cover-up and uh, that this really isn't a, a flu. It's a result of technology advancements that are having an adverse effect on the body and all kinds of things uh, are, are out there. Saints, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter whatever you believe the cause of this current crisis in humanity is, or even if you believe it's some mass cover-up, the only thing that matters is the cure for this in all things is Christ and Christ alone. There is none other that can heal us, deliver us, save us, and protect us like he can. But we see in this relationship, in this encounter between this woman and Jesus, that she recognizes the only help that she needs can come from Jesus. And this is a great lesson for us. We are often in despair and look to everything else but Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Or at least he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be the one that we depend on especially if we deem ourselves believers. He should be the one that we're counting on to cover us and to protect us. While we take every precaution and function as man would direct us through man's wisdom, our ultimate hope is in Christ. Our ultimate faith is in the power of God to keep us, even from this contagion. The word of God teaches us in Psalms 121st, uh, one through two, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Often we don't receive the help that we're looking for because we're looking everywhere else but up. Every once in a while, this is for you, Sean Marshall. You ought to toss your head back and look up to the hills from whence cometh your help and declare in the heavens, my help comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. But we see in this encounter that this woman, she comes seeking help. She comes seeking deliverance for her daughter who's in great travail. What she got in this moment was the silent treatment. This almost resembles some other people in the church. I know that none of you would keep silent and ignore the calls for help from someone in need unless that need eclipses your own. What are you willing to sacrifice for the needs of someone else in the family of humanity? I've often said there is only one race and that's the human race. There isn't a white race, there isn't a black race, there isn't a brown race. There is only the human race. We are more alike than many of us like to admit. But we look and we see in this encounter, Jesus, he's silent and he doesn't really respond to her request at first. Sounds like sometimes when you're in prayer and you're waiting, you know, the Pastors across this nation have probably told you, and I know that I've said that sometimes uh, we pray and then we never give God a chance to talk. We just pray, say what we got to say, we get up and go about our business. 
instead of sitting there and waiting for a response from God to hear what God is saying. Well, in this case, in this encounter, this woman comes to Jesus and she makes a request and she waits for a response, but hears nothing. How often have you gone before God in deep prayer and just poured out the depth of your heart only to hear nothing in return? If you're going to be honest, it's really frustrating. It's frustrating when you call somebody, leave a voice message, you know they got it, but they don't call you back. You send them a text message, and if you have an iPhone, you know they read it. If they have an iPhone, because it tells them at this day, at this time, they read your text message but no response comes back. If that's frustrating just on the human level, imagine how frustrating that is on the spiritual level. Uh, you kind of have that attitude, I won't be ignored. I need a reply to come. I need God to say something. I, I need to hear the voice of God in a time such as this. We look for every excuse as to why God would not reply to us. And even if you're really going to be honest and keep it 100, sometimes you get indignant. I just know God ain't ignoring me. I'm doing everything right. I pay my tithes. I show up to every service. I read and study the word of God. I'm always running around the house, in my car, in my job, and in the store, just praising the name of God. And he's going to give me the silent treatment Oh, there must be something going on here. Well, as we continue to examine this woman's response, we find that her response is nothing like that. Maybe this is an example to how we are to interact with Jesus. What she does show is great perseverance and steadfastness as she stays before Jesus. I can imagine in Jesus' mind, he's calling this woman to not give up, even though things seemingly are hard or difficult. It reminds me of the drill sergeant in the military who seems like he or she is the meanest thing going, but what they're really doing is preparing you for what lies ahead. And what he's doing is done out of the kindness of his heart. The scripture does not exactly say it, but when we look at the next line, we can see something that Jesus was also teaching his disciples. Who are the disciples? Not just these 12, but the disciples are all followers of Christ, which means all of us are disciples. Hence, there's something here for us to see. Matthew 15 and 23. But he answered her not a word. Now here it goes. And his disciples came and besought her, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. They describe a woman who would not give up even in the face of direct rejection. She keeps coming. She keeps coming. She keeps coming. We see where things for this woman pushed her to overcome the obstacles. This woman faced Three major obstacles, in fact. There was the silence of Jesus, and despite his silence and rejection from the disciples and her being undeserving, she would not quit without getting her blessing. She was not going to give up. 
she was going to stay in the face of God, no matter what it took or however long it may have been until she got what she was looking for. There's the objection of the disciples. It seems that two things happened to the disciples. First, the woman's creating an embarrassing situation for them because she's crying after them. And because of their aggravation and because of their lifelong training, they judge the lady to be unworthy of Jesus' help because she is a Gentile. In other words, she's not like them. She shouldn't even be in the face of God because she's not like them. She's somehow different from them. And because she was different, they expected Jesus to send her away. She must have followed them for some time. Jesus seemed to continue to ignore her. So the disciples would assume that she wasn't worthy of his help and he must have despised her. So the disciples responded in what I like to call the church folk way. They did not request Jesus to deliver her daughter, but rather they just wanted her silenced. Would you please shut her up, Lord? Many in the church have the same attitude when it comes to God's people. We don't want to hear their problems because we have problems of our own. Or we have other things to do. Or we don't want to be connected to that which is different from us. But the disciples had to learn some hard lessons. First, faith, which is meted out to all humanity, has to be awakened in a person's heart before Christ can minister to them. You cannot just haphazardly approach Christ as every whim and fancy and expect to receive the very help you are looking for. You have to have a true and sincere heart, a genuine seeking and an awakened faith. And this is apparently what Jesus was doing with this woman, waking up her faith. Only faith keeps you heading towards the promise. Oh, how so many in the church today need their faith awakened. We talk about faith, we say we have faith, yet we don't stand in faith. We kind of do like some of the uh, doctors are saying now. First they said, don't cover your face. Only cover it if you have certain material to what they're saying now. You can make up your own. It may work, it may not work, but it can't hurt. And since it can't hurt, it's worth doing. The best thing it can do for you is help you. And then the worst thing is it does nothing. Well, some of us approach our work and relationship with God in that same kind of attitude. I pray and talk to God. Maybe it'll help. Maybe it won't. Not realizing that as a true believer, I am endowed with power from on high. When I approach God, I don't approach God as a victim. I approach God as one standing in victory. I don't approach God as weak, but I approach God as one standing in strength. I don't approach God in sickness, but I approach God as one standing in complete health. Why? Because I am standing on the promises of God. 
The servant of God has to minister from a heart that's filled with compassion. Oh, if the church would only begin to function from a place of compassion. Every believer ought to minister to the despised as well as to the accepted. It doesn't matter whether you're like me or not like me. To be ready for the promise of those coming into ministry, the people of God, the church folk, are always seeking God to send people, but they only want people to come that are like them. They want people to come saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, even as the Spirit of God give others, come into the house full of power, full of strength, filled with wisdom and knowledge, so that they can inspire those that have been there for years. They want those coming in to be the spark, not even realizing that they're supposed to be the spark that ignites life in those that are coming in. I don't really care how you come. You can come high, you can come drunk, you can come wearing whatever, you can come mean, you can come sad, you can come depressed, you can come smoking, you can come in whatever condition you come in. My job is not to judge you, it's to love you, just like God loves us. My job and I've often said this, is to sow seed, is to plant the seed of the word of God into their lives and then allow God to do the work just like he worked on me. Because if you're honest, you didn't come in in perfect position. You came in broken. Some of us are still broken. And we need a savior. And I'm here to tell you today, the savior has entered the city of David to prepare himself to lay his life down on this great day. Next week, we celebrate Easter. The day that Jesus lays his life down. No man took it. He laid it down so that today we could stand on the promise of God. Something else important to see, there was this strange statement of Jesus that she's undeserving. He says, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There was no rejection whatever in this statement to the woman. In fact, what Jesus was stating was merely fact. Jesus had come primarily to the house of Israel while on the earth, he had to concentrate his ministry if he was to achieve his purpose. But why make this statement to this woman? Well, I see two things here. The woman needed to learn persistence, humility, and trust. The woman needed to learn that there is only one true religion, for lack of a better word, and only one true Messiah for which we should seek relationship. This woman was a Greek from a proud pagan society. She had been and probably still was a worshiper of false gods, like some of you are today. Therefore, 
she was undeserving of being heard by the true Messiah or the true Lord. She had to come to the realization that Christ as the son of David, as the miracle worker of the Jews who was delivering them from their diseases, was the God that she needed, was exactly what she needed. She had to come to the realization that he's the Messiah for all. He's also our only hope. No other religion, no other God could do anything for her except Jesus. He alone was her help. He alone was her hope. He alone was to be the Lord and master whom she would bring worship. She had to learn the same lesson that the Samaritan woman at the well had to learn. Salvation is of the Jews. For the word of God itself says it in John 4 and 22. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. There's a different way in people to seek Jesus and pray. There is the prayer of chance or of no expectancy. Many people pray this way. They pray because they think God just might hear what it is that they're saying. Some of you may be praying this way today. They're not quite sure. They can't point to any instance when Jesus really did answer, but they pray anyway just in case he's listening. Better to pray and he not listen than he be listening but you not praying. This is the logic of man. And then there's the prayer of persistence or perseverance. The prayer that will not take no or silence for an answer. This was the woman's prayer. She truly loved her daughter and she was desperate. She knew Jesus was her only hope, so she would not quit. She would not be discouraged by anything, not by silence, not by objection, not even by what seemingly was an apparent rebuff. There's a great lesson here for believers. This woman was a heathen, yet she knew and did something that so many of us have refused to learn. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 declares, And it shall be given you, seek, and ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. It also declares in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter in the 29th verse, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul, that's a place of expectancy, not just dotting the I and crossing the T. Jeremiah says in 29 and 13, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Something else amazing that I see in this uh, conversation in this interaction between Jesus and this woman is the level of worship that she gives. Is worship sometimes different than what the church of today gives. It's the worship that's different than sometimes what believers today give. This woman came to Jesus and she worshiped him as Lord. We do that. But she calls him Lord before. But now she took one essential step and worships him as Lord. 
At first, this woman does what so many of us do. She approaches Jesus only as a great man, a great teacher, but not as the Lord who is to be worshipped. God, of course, will never honor such a low view of his son. What is needed to be experienced is what she does in this verse, a growth in seeing who Jesus really is, the true Lord, the one who receives all worship. Notice also that the worship, and this is where the church fails often, comes before the answer or the blessing. Faith, real faith, makes you worship God before the manifestation of the promise. Before you know that uh, what you're seeking is yours. And today, the worship should be taking place in your house before you're freed from being sequestered, from being imprisoned in your home. Your faith ought to be driving you to worship God because you serve a God that is able to keep you. It's not the protection of isolation that keeps you from the contagion. It is the protection of God. And how much greater can we lift up the name of God than when we are not distracted by anything else? But she worships God. We often wait until the blessing comes. And then we call ourselves doing God a favor or patting God on the back with our worship because of his faithfulness to us. But worship is extremely important in our relationship with Jesus. We ought to worship him no matter what the condition of our lives may be. Few things can put a halt to what goes on in heaven, but worship brings heaven to a screeching halt. God is moved to inhabit the praises of his people. Psalms 22 and 3 says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabiteth the praises of Israel. If you want to bring God into this crisis, you ought to just begin to praise him right now. If you want to bring God into your home right now, you ought to just begin to take a moment and praise God. As a matter of fact, I feel like a praise break is on the line. I feel like just for the next 10 seconds, you ought to cry out to God, hallelujah, thank you, God, hallelujah, I worship you, hallelujah, you are my God, my redeemer, my savior. I feel my preach coming on because I serve a God that is able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before my father. Oh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. That was a little bit more than 10 seconds, but sometimes you just get caught away in worship. Oh, I worship you, Lord. I worship you. Something else that's really important for us to see in this text, in this interaction with this woman and Jesus is the level of humility that she displays. Sometimes we're just not humble enough. Many times we're just too proud. These next words were on the surface harsh. And some might even find them demeaning. Jesus just called this woman a dog. Now I may be many things, but I'm not a dog. 
And most of us have the attitude, I'm not going to take that. Those, for some of us, are fighting words. This is where some of us might put our salvation on the shelf so we can handle things in the flesh. Matter of fact, riots have started for less than this. But what does Jesus mean when he makes this statement? Jesus had to move this woman forward in her faith and trust in a clear understanding of just who it is he is, the Lord and master of everyone's life, not just of the Jews. He is much more than just the son of David. He also had to teach her that salvation is of the Jews and that he is that salvation the master of all lives. He is telling her this. It's not right to take the bread of the gospel that belongs to the true worshipers of God and give it to the dogs, which are the heathens. The woman was a Greek. Greeks were proud people with a rich heritage who despised the Jews. She was a worshiper of false gods, a heathen, an outsider, a sinner, and he was the Messiah, the master of all lives. Was she willing to humble and surrender herself to him as the master of her life? Church, are you willing to humble yourself to the Lord Jesus that you declare you serve, the God that you say you are in relationship with? Are you willing to let it be his way and not your way? Are you willing to set down your gods and allow him to be God in your life? It's this great spiritual insight that she clearly sees and confesses in humility that she was nothing spiritually. She was only a dog, but being a dog of the family she had the right to eat the crumbs that would fall from the table. Let me just share something with you from the word of God to give you an understanding that this woman has found in this interaction. Matthew 18 and 4 says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Romans 12 and 3 declares, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. Philippians says, look in, in uh, the second chapter, the fourth, the fifth verse, look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. James 4 and 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Isaiah says it like this in 57 and 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, 
with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And as I move towards my close today, I want to talk to you just briefly about the faith that Jesus has been trying to stir up in this woman's life. The faith that he's trying to stir up in your life. This woman is described by God, by Jesus, as having great faith. There are only two people whose faith is pronounced by Jesus to be great. It is this woman's faith and the faith of the centurion. You know, it's really worth talking about. It's really worth pointing out that neither of these people were Jews. They were Gentiles. They were deemed not to be worthy, yet they were the ones that were described as having great faith. One thing rises above all others in the experience of this woman. She believed that Jesus could meet her need and she would not let him go until he met that need. Her belief was so strong that she would not quit. Despite being met with silence, irritation, opposition, apparent rebuff and being told that she was undeserving and even being called out her name. There is no way to describe the scene except, O woman, great is thy faith. Can we stand in the promises of God? Can it be said of us, great is our faith? Our faith drives us to have confidence in God. I don't feel imprisoned in my home. I'm not afraid when I have to leave to go to the store or to do what is necessary to continue to live that I might become overcome with a contagion. I'm not afraid. I'm not in fear of it. Even if it comes and afflicts my body, I know that the healing grace of God is already working on the inside of me. And whatever I might catch, will become subject to the health of Christ that is flowing in the blood in my body because my blood ties me to Jesus because he covered me in his blood. I've already been made whole. Imagine this. She believed that Christ's power could even overcome space and time. Her daughter wasn't with her. She didn't bring her daughter. Her daughter's back at the house, vexed with the devil. What an enormous faith. Just like the centurion. He didn't bring his servant with him to meet Jesus and even deemed himself in a place of humility as unworthy that Jesus would come into his home. But there's a critical point that has to be pointed out here. Her faith in Jesus' power as great as it was, was not enough. Her faith was not what caused Jesus to answer her prayer. What caused Jesus to answer her prayer was her personal humility. That was her surrender and her worship of him as Lord. 
Christ answers the prayers and exercises his power in behalf of those who are willing to surrender themselves to him and to worship him as Lord. Matthew 21 and 22 declares, In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. John 6 and 29 says, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Hebrews 11 and 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What is great faith? The steps taken by this dear woman tell us. It is a desperate cry of need. Father, we need you right now. In the all of humanity, we need you. This pandemic is stretching forth its hand. It's affecting and infecting and afflicting in more than just the health of the body, but the health of society, the health of our economy, the health of our uh, relationships. But God, you are able to deliver us. It's a persistence that will not quit. I don't care if I have to labor before the Lord day and night. I will not be moved. I will not let him go until he blesses me. The attitude and the expectation must be in the heart and mind of the believer that when this encounter is over, I shall have what it is I have sought the Lord for. It's a spirit that worships Jesus as Lord from a place of humility and surrender to the Lord. It is a faith that ultimately gets what it's seeking. I encourage you today, people of God, to stand on the promises of God. No matter what, do not give up. Because the Bible says in Galatians 6 and 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In other words, you shall have what you are seeking if you simply don't quit. You ought to look at your neighbor, you know, the one sitting next to you on the couch, and give them a high five. You've already violated social distancing because you're in the same house together, so it's okay. Give them a high five now and declare to them, we will not quit. We stand in agreement with what God's word declares. We are greater than this pandemic through Christ our Lord. This Palm Sunday, the great day of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, the city of David, this day many came to celebrate this entry because they believed that Jesus would deliver them from the Romans who ruled them harshly. These same people would only days later turn on him and demand that Jesus be crucified. They changed because they did not understand who Jesus truly was and why Jesus truly came and from what rule 
he was ultimately freeing them from. Here we are now, already being made free, but seemingly are bound to another ruler of life. Jesus came that we might have life and that we might live it abundantly. What we do with that life is up to us. In this current climate with this pandemic, are we willing to do what this woman did? Right now, I'm speaking to the church, to the body of Christ, who is supposed to be the Jew through adoption by faith in Jesus. We're no longer on the outside having no right to the table. We're not eating the scraps of the table, but the table has been spread and the feast of the Lord is going on and you and I have a seat at the table. Will we demonstrate in prayer and persistence what this woman did? Can we come together as the children of God and persist in prayer together that the only one who can cure this contagion would release the cure, eradicate the virus, and restore health back to the land. Jesus entered the city of David to free humanity over 2,000 years ago and to trade places with us at the cross. If this health, if his health is our health, then let us seek the face of God until his health overcomes this sickness. People of God, we have the cure. We have the power to deliver, to heal, and to set free. Will we come together and rise up? Will we, as the people of God, declare to this virus, I will not go quietly into the night. I shall not vanish without a fight, but I shall go on because the life of God is flowing in me. I have been translated from death into life, from weakness into strength, from being a victim into being a victor. I am more than an overcomer through Christ. I am more than victorious, but I am blessed of God, empowered by God, indwelt by God, and you and I can stand in the authority of the kingdom and put this virus back in its place under our feet. I dare you to dance on it right now. I dare you to call on the name of the Lord on this thing. People of God, we are the cure that America needs. We are the cure that the land needs. We are the cure that humanity needs because I have already died and it is the life of Christ that lives in me. The hope of glory, my victory. I bless you today. I praise God for you today. And I know that we're coming out. Man is looking for the peak to be flattened. I'm looking for the peak to disappear. And I serve a God that is able 
to do just what I have declared. I shall not be moved by this, for God is on our side. And if God be for us, who, what can be against us? Know that I love you. GMFC, people of God, all those who have tuned in, know that I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm standing in the gap for you. And I'm believing God for you. Will you join me in believing that God is able? Will you join me in believing that God will bring an end to this crisis? Will you join me in calling for a revival in the land? Will you join me with a stirred up faith as we stand on the promises of God together. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you and grant to you his peace. Might he cover you in your going out and in your coming in, in your lying down and in your labor, in your laughter and in your tears. Until that day that he calls us home to be with him, may he not only order your step, but give you clear understanding so that you can walk in the steps that he has ordered and live a life free from not just the, this contagion, but from everything that would dare stand in the face of what is real and true. And that is my savior, Jesus Christ. Know that First Lady and I are thinking about you, Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center and that we are here for you. You're not in this alone. We truly are in this together. God bless you. Amen. Have a wonderful Palm Sunday.